Waiting is hard. You know, we'd give anything for a fast track on patience, wouldn't we? And I think it's even harder when the one we're waiting on is God. When we think we know what we want him to do and we think he really, really should do it and yet he just doesn't seem to be coming through. Today, what I want to explore with you, with us, is this, uh, what it looks like to trust in God's timing. And I don't want to just do what seems to be so prevalent these days and sort of share three top tips for like waiting well. I want, to, I want to ground what I say in an ancient text, a conversation that a man, a prophet of Judah had, a conversation he had with God and, and the conclusions he came to. And so as we do that, I think we're going to come to a richer, deeper, more lasting understanding of what it means to wait well Today And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Habakkuk uh, t- chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole passage. Um, and, and just as you turn there, last week Anna took us through uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. And the time is around 609 BC. And you might not care about that. But if you know your history, that timing is really, really significant. Because just around the corner is a really dark time for Judah. King Rehoboam is on the throne. He is an awful king. And the, and the nation is filled with injustice. And Habakkuk sees this and he's like, God, when are you going to do something about injustice? And God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to come and judge uh, Israel. And he's like, what? That's an awful answer to my prayer. Like they're really, really bad. How are you going to do that? And yet he, he comes to this place of saying, but God, I trust you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look and I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what you will say to me. And so it's the response that God now brings to Habakkuk's sort of posture of trust towards God that we're going to read about now. And what we learn is that God is saying, at some point, I am going to punish Babylon. And this season you're about to go through Judah, this is for you to be disciplined. But one day I'm going to get rid of Babylon altogether. So turn with me, we're going to go Habakkuk 2 and we're going to read this together. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits at appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? And you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city 
with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that they are peoples, the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone. Wake up. Can he give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth fall silent before him. I want to just say a few things to help us sort of understand what we just read. And there are three things I want us to take out of this passage. The first is that there's an appointed time. Verse 2, it says, you know, the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain so someone can run with it. God's saying, I'm about to reveal something to you, Habakkuk. And and I want you to write it down and make it plain so that people can understand it. And it says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The revelation that God is speaking of to Habakkuk is about something that will happen in future and it's going to be slightly delayed. It's not going to happen right away, but God wants to make sure Habakkuk knows even though there's a delay, it will certainly come. God is promising that this outcome for Babylon will come about. So there's an appointed time The second thing I want us to see in this passage is the righteous will live by faith or his faithfulness. The Babylonians are puffed up. They're characterized by arrogance and pride and their wicked desires never seem to be enough. You know, they just want to conquer city after city and land after land. This desire to just spread out will never ever be satisfied. But in contrast contrast to that pride, God says, my people are going to live by my faithfulness. Now, the translation of this verse is pretty hard because you can see it says, we'll live by his faithfulness. And yet the alternative way of translating it is that they will live by faith. And, but actually, it doesn't really matter that there's sort of these two, these two views because the two come together in something wonderful. Think about it in this way. When there's an earthquake, one of the things we're told to do is sort of like maybe scramble under a, a sturdy table. And the reason we do that is because the table is strong. But there's no point in diving under it if the table isn't strong enough, if it isn't trustworthy, if it isn't faithful, right? But the the table can be as strong as you want it to be. But if you never step under it, if you never put your faith in it, then what point is it it in it being strong enough? And so there's something about the faithfulness of the table and the trust in the faithfulness of the table that that, that bring together this idea of faith. And what, what God is saying is, I am faithful. I am trustworthy and what you need to do is put your trust in me. That is how I want you to live. That is the definition 
of trust. And this concept is so important. I said it's about 609 BC. Between 605 and 586, Judah is about to be invaded three sep- on three separate occasions by King Nebuchadnezzar. And each time he'll carry more and more people away uh, to Babylon. This was like Babylon's way. They conquered new nations and then they took like the rich, the wealthy, the people of status, and they took them back to Babylon so that it was much easier for them to control their empire. And so they're about to go through it. Like Judah is about to go through a really awful time as they're taken like 1,500 kilometers away from home. And they're going to be in exile for about 70 years. And God wants them to know, though this is going to happen, there is an appointed time in future where I am going to bring you home. I am faithful to bring this about. I will judge Babylon one day. And so in all that is about to happen, the invasions and the exile and the time you're going to spend away, trust me, I'm going to deal with Babylon and I will bring you home. Put your trust in my faithfulness. Here's the third thing I want you to see in this passage. This is not how it ends. In verse 6, it sort of turns, and you might have caught it. It says, will not all of them uh, taunt him with ridicule? The them is the victims, the Judah, the people who are going to be invaded, and the him is Babylon. And what it's saying is the victims, if God's going to turn the tables, the victims are actually going to rejoice. They're going to celebrate. They're going to taunt over Babylon. And, and so the, the point being made is that this is not how it ends. And what comes from there, you might have heard me read again and again the word woe. And it sort of comes in these five poems or sort of funeral songs. And what God is saying is that the people of Judah are one day going to be able to sing these songs over Babylon when God deals with that nations. And the first three uh, talk about things like, you know, God's going to judge them for them killing innocent people and, and building their empire through injustice. But in the middle of that, we get this wonderful glimpse of what God is going to do at a point in the future. It says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Though Babylon has been like like, um, merciless in the way that they have spread out, there's only so far that they can go because there is a day coming. There is an appointed time when when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Have you ever seen ocean without water on it? God's saying there won't be a square inch of the whole world where it is not filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The fourth and fifth song in this sort of funeral, funeral sort of songs talk about the, the, the glory of Babylon being turned to disgrace and the fact that they've relied on false gods and those gods are going to be proved worthless God is going to turn the table and he is going to bring judgment upon Babylon. And so it finishes with this verse, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth fall silent before him. Silence is something that happens in scripture in the face of God's judgment. When the holiness of God is revealed over sin and God deals with it fully and finally, all people can do is stand in awestruck silence at the holiness of God. And so that's what this chapter means to the original readers. There's an appointed time. This is not how it ends. And in the meantime, my people are to trust in my faithfulness. 
But I want you to see in this passage, there's actually something bigger going on. There's this idea of double fulfillment. You might have heard of it. And I want you to imagine that you're sort of painting a picture of a mountain range. And you can see a peak in the distance. And there's a bigger peak behind it. And in one picture, you're painting both mountains. And that's what's going on here. Um, Habakkuk, I forgot his name for a moment. Habakkuk is talking about something that happened in the 6th century. But at the same time, he's glimpsing something that's going to go on in the future, an ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. You know, we come at this text knowing that, knowing about Jesus, knowing that the Son of God took on flesh, lived perfectly, died the death we deserved uh, in our place, rose again and, and, and ascended into heaven. And we know that one day he is coming again. And just like Habakkuk taught that in future there is an appointed time, so Jesus also taught in his time there is an appointed time in the future known to the Father. When he is going to come, when Jesus is going to come again. And prior to that time, there's this time of judgment on the earth. There's this time of tribulation where God's wrath is poured out. And so in the New Testament, it's like the, the old empire of Babylon becomes this metaphor. This, it's a foreshadowing of a future Babylon. Just as the old Babylon was known for immorality and idolatry and, and injustice, so there's a future, so Revelation speaks of a future Babylon that is characterized by the same uh, things. It's this ultimate expression of rebellion against God in the world. And just as Babylon's conquering was turned on its own head, just as the sort of punishment they dealt out came upon their own head, so Revelation in chapter 17 and 18 speaks of a time when the ultimate Babylon will be judged. You can, in fact, if you read Revelation 17 and 18 and compare it to Habakkuk 2, they are such similar passages. And, and, and so uh, at the climax of that, you get this moment in, just as there's silence at the climax of this judgment over old Babylon, so in future, there's silence in heaven as the climax of God's judgment on the earth comes to pass. And all heaven just stands in silence at the revelation of the holiness of God on the earth. Just as Habakkuk's prophecy spoke of um, Babylon's defeat and the people of God rejoicing over that defeat, so all of heaven will one day celebrate. And you read about in Revelation 19, will celebrate over the destruction of the ultimate Babylon, over the time when God's judgment is poured out on the injustice we see in our world. And just as Habakkuk foresaw a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, so there is an ultimate day. When Jesus Christ returns after that period of tribulation, it's called the millennium, and he's going to reign on David's throne for a thousand years. He's going to rule and reign in absolute supremacy. There won't be an inch of earth that is not aware of the fullness of the glory of God. And we on earth will experience what it's like to live under the rule and reign of a good and powerful king. It will be an incredible day. These days are coming. And that's what Habakkuk is ultimately leading us towards. And so I want to ask us if that's what it means. <coughs> if that's what it means, how should we live today? I think the point is that Babylon is everywhere. Sin and death is like this global empire. The whole earth is subject to the consequences of rebellion against God. We're afflicted by it and affected by sin in every way. You and I cannot imagine a world without sin and injustice. 
And as we go through crises, as we go through difficulty, as we find ourselves crying out to God to do something in our day, we're reminded that, that, that all of the pain we experience ultimately derives from sin and rebellion against God. And we cry out like we read Habakkuk did in verse 7. How long, O Lord, how long? When we hear news of war, when we read stories of children being trafficked, when we see of wider injustice, when we read of uh, corrupt governments, when we're confronted by hunger and poverty, we cry out, how long until that appointed time, Lord? How long? When we walk through sickness, mental illness, trauma, bereavement, uh, miscarriage, inf infidelity, infertility, we cry out, how long, oh Lord, how long? When we're faced with sin in our own lives and we feel stuck and, and in bondage and, and in shackles and we just want to break free. We're crying out, how long, oh Lord, how long? And here's what I think we can take from Habakkuk. Number one, there's an appointed time. There is a time coming when this will end, when God will deal with injustice. And there's something that helps us when we know that there's, there's an appointed time. Think of it in this way, like, you know, if you ever order something online and you begin tracking, you know, on, on your phone, maybe like uh, when it's coming, you know, I ordered something recently from Australia and it's like, it's in Melbourne. I'm like, okay, cool. That's not too far away. And it's like, then it's in Australia. I'm like, well, that's more vague. Like, when's it coming? And then finally, like the immortal words are expressed on your phone, right? With Korea. Like, it's a marvelous time, you know? And then you're like, but when's it coming? Is it like this morning? Is it lunchtime? Is it end of the day? I, I don't know. But, but the courier knows. And there's something about me on that day that relaxes. I'm like, it's with the courier. He or she has got it. Like, it's, uh, it's not quite maybe when I want it to be. I still don't quite know. But no, it's coming today. There's something that shifts when we know there's an appointed time. There's something that shifts when we know it's actually coming. And I think that's something that God is leading us to understand here. That as we walk through these crises, as we're faced with these difficulties, there's something different in our posture when we understand there's an appointed time. That God will deal with it. And I think this is what Paul picks up when he refers to this idea in, in, in Hebrews 10. You know, it's talking to the persecuted church and it says, Hebrews 10, 34, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew you, you yourselves, um, you yourselves, that sounded funny, had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while. These are Habakkuk's words. He who is coming will not delay. This is an appointed time. And when we suffer, when we're persecuted, when we're challenged, God wants the community of the church to be like the, the writer to Hebrews, to say to one another, I know you're struggling, but there's a day coming. I know you're struggling, but it is coming. It's like it's with the courier. Okay, it's going to be here soon. Hang on. Don't throw away your faith. Don't give up. Don't shipwreck your confidence. Keep going because at an appointed time. And God knows when it is. Can we put our trust in him today? I think the other thing Habakkuk wants us to take away from this, and the Lord would have us take away from this passage, is this is not how it ends. You know, Habakkuk teaches us that when you feel the pain of injustice, and when you're grieved with suffering, there's something that goes on in our hearts in that moment that is like in tune with the heart of God. He's not indifferent to suffering. It's not that he doesn't care, even though it seems like, like, why aren't you dealing with it now? There's something in us 
that resonates with the heart of God when, we, when, we, when we're grieved over injustice. And we have to remember that this is not how it ends. God will deal with the injustice one day. And Jesus really is coming again. And so I think the pain and suffering are this invitation for us to look to Jesus. This sort of invitation to look for and long for the, the reign of Jesus that is coming. I have a friend who's been in hospital recently. He's got a degenerative brain condition. He's a friend of many of us called Ewart. And I've got nothing to offer him except when I go and see him to hold his arm and say, this is not how it ends. This is not how it ends. Degenerative diseases are not the end for you and they're not the end for me because there is an appointed time. This is not how it ends. He is coming again. He is coming again. And finally, I think for us, there is this call to walk by faith. Paul picks this up a couple of times in the New Testament in Romans and Galatians. In Galatians, he picks it up because the Galatians had started believing in Jesus and then they walked away from it. Or, they were, or rather, they began to hedge their bets. They're like, we believe in Jesus, but maybe we should also do some things for the, with the law because we want to just make sure that we're right with God. And Paul's like, whoa, it's his most aggressive letter. He's like, you, you foolish Galatians, this is outrageous. Come back to a simple trust in Christ. Don't don't trust yourselves. Don't trust your strength. Don't trust what you think you can achieve. Just strip that all away and come back to a, to a poor trust in Jesus. And I think this is a call for us today out of Habakkuk, that the righteous, that the people of God are to walk, to trust in the faithfulness of God. You know, these last two years have had such a profound impact on the church and many people have drifted away and many people have just uh, have sort of walked away from their faith all together. And I think part of the challenge for us is that our faith was too easily tied to a form of church. And when that went away and maybe we were meeting online or meeting at home, it's something like my faith was in a meeting, a meeting place and now that's not there. I don't know what that's doing to me. I don't know where I am now. And I think there is this call for us today. Come, just come back to Jesus. Just come back to Him. Just come back to the one who's going to rule and reign one day. Just come back to the one who died for you. Come back to the one who rose again. Just come back to a simple, childlike trust in Jesus. You know, for some of us, the journey is just hard. Maybe the stakes got raised for you in the workplace recently, and that's what you're crying out to God for right now. Can I invite you just to come back to a simple trust in Jesus? Maybe trauma happened. Maybe sickness happened. Maybe doubt creeped in. You know, you were sure of your faith and then doubt has creeped in. And you've got questions. Can I encourage you? Come back to Jesus first. And just sort of don't ignore the doubts, but bring them to Jesus and say, Lord, bring me back to just a simple trust in you. Maybe you're looking at the pain and injustice in the world and you're like, how can a good God tolerate this? The answer is he doesn't. He just hasn't dealt with it fully and finally yet. But would you trust the one who took your sin and the weight of the world's sin upon his own shoulders for your sake and just come back to a simple trust in him and say, Lord, I don't have all the answers. I don't really know how this all turns out, but I'm going to trust you today that there's an appointed time and the evil that grieves me is not how it ends. One day you're coming again. And so today, today I come back to you again and simply bring a simple faith in you. I think this is how we wait well. 
It's not three top tips. It's grounded in an ancient conversation with God. But I think it's richer for that reason. This is how we wait well. It's a hope in the future that God will bring about. And it's a trust in the faithfulness of God today. And it's a trust in the most faithful one of all, Jesus. God, I pray today that you would bring us again to a simple trust in you and whatever is going on in our lives, whatever's going on in our world, whatever maybe has caused us to drift from this simplicity, bring us back to a simple trust today, I pray. Lord, for anybody right now just struggling in that way, thank you that we can turn to you right now and just come with those issues, come with those problems, say, I just return to Jesus. And as part of that expression, Lord, we we turn our hearts and our attention towards you in worship. And we declare the greatness and the faithfulness of God in the psalms that we sing. And in this moment, I pray as we sing, let this be a moment of recommitment and reconnection and an expression of our simple trust in Jesus. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.